the Youthscape podcast, the podcast for Christians who work with young people. Welcome to another edition of the Youthscape podcast, the podcast where we talk about youth ministry. Uh, my name is Martin Saunders. With me, as always, Rachel Gardner. We both work for Youthscape. And there was a time when we used to um, pre- bring you these uh, podcasts. And there will be another time where they come from the, uh, the the glorious, hallowed corridors of Butte Mills, Luton's, H- Luton's HQ. it's not Luton's HQ. Youthscape's Luton HQ, where we have lovely recording equipment which you paid for through Patreon. Thank you so much. Um, uh, but we're not there now. We are no. stuck in bedrooms in uh, in Preston and Rygate. With and, ropey uh, headsets. With ropey yeah. headsets. But, uh, but yeah, how are you, Rachel? Oh, I'm doing good. I've just wrapped myself in a coat because I, there's something about... I can hear my parents say, don't put the heating on all day. Don't do it. So I've, I'm refusing to put the heating on and I'm so cold. So I've, I've still got high heels on. I've not mm. put socks and, and thick slippers on. I've just wrapped myself in a coat indoors. So I'm what doing, we're, so I'm we're seeing fine. from you is a sort of Kafka-esque metamorphosis into later life. <laughs> Slowly, you are becoming elderly, Rachel. It, it's just going to happen. Do you it's think when you picture yourself, because I often think about, you know, what I'll be like as an old man. Yeah. Do, do you picture yourself... Uh, you know, still wearing the leopard print and the and the ridiculous heels. Yeah, I do. Except probably with with an insole to protect my back. Probably, <laughs> I'll probably have that. I I sometimes now clock older females in the street who are who are just given a fierce kind of you know they've bleached blonde their hair and they've cut it short. They're wearing outrageous right. glasses, and I'm just like, oh, can't wait, can't wait to join the sisterhood because I just yeah. think there probably comes an age where it's really fun again to do crazy fashion. So yeah, I do, I do often think about that. And I have spoken at great length on this podcast ad nauseum about how this season of life is making me feel like an utter dinosaur because of the technology. Um, although this week um, on Youth Online, uh, we play Cahoots. And our very oh, yeah. young, our very young youth pastor had not heard of Cahoots. And I was like, oh, I'm all over this. I know how to download it. I know how to play it. This is my era. So, yeah, so I feel them. So occasionally I had these moments of feeling like I can connect again. So, yes. Did you not, but... did you not think that that told you mate, perhaps Cahoot is on its way out? <laughs> well, I mean, the thing was, it was the younger youth who just thought this was the best thing ever. So I was like, oh. I'm not going to tell them. I'm going to just pretend that I know what was going on. No, it was great. So, um, Martin, you are down in the in the balmy south. Are you wrapping yes. yourself in a coat and sticking your slippers on? No, I mean you, you are consistently getting in trouble with our gorgeous northern, northern listeners. I, I know. By, why do you do it? You I just keep betraying why. your new I home. Do. I am so. I, well, I I love my new home, but I do keep tripping out on the whole weather. I shouldn't because it's glorious up here. Actually, Is it? it's been a lo- It's been a lovely few weeks in spring. It's, it's a bit so- damp in the south. Today. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. Victory. Victory. Now listen, we have we have a guest today who um 
who comes from uh, both uh, sort of frontline uh, ministry, church ministry, but also sort of has, is the sort of person that when you're on Zoom with them, they have like wall to ceiling books. This person is like yeah. highly read, like they know what they're talking about. So I thought, Martin, I wanted to ask you if you could have dinner with any like historical character who inspires you extraordinarily in the world of youth ministry and you think even though they come from a different age a different stage a completely different maybe civilization yeah. that you would just glean great stuff from them have i given you a long enough running to think about yeah it? you have you given me long enough you to don't think about prepare it. any of these obviously no who, who would no, you no. who would you invite for a little cheeky kebab oh i mean the, g- goodness i would n- never go anywhere near a cheeky kebab um and i don't want to lose sight of the conversation about bookshelves because you you're sitting in front of one and we must talk about that before we go to our guest but in answer to your question uh i guess well i spent a little while a couple of years ago um i've been traveling up 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 to northumberland quite a bit over the last few years and have gone to holy island uh at lindisfarne and uh, and sort of walked uh, St Cuthbert's Way there wow. and sort of traced the footsteps of of St Cuthbert. So I find him quite interesting. But to be honest with you, it's um it's a bit more recent than that. The person I'd love to sit down and have uh, let's not, let's not say a kebab. I don't think he'd be a kebab man. I think he'd be I think he'd love like a proper British Indian meal. Ooh. I think and, and and I think he'd be really wowed by it. Is um, Mike Iaconelli. Um oh. so. Obviously, Mike Iaconelli is a hero to to many people in ministry and in youth ministry. Um, And he died just as I was sort of starting out in youth ministry. So tragically, didn't he? He did. Yeah. Yeah. Died in a car accident in his in his 60s on his way back, I think, from a youth youth ministry convention that he was uh, leading. Um, And he was just uh, an absolute pioneer and innovator. Um, in American youth ministry, he thought outside the box. He pushed boundaries which now wouldn't be seen. I mean, he now, by the way, would be seen as entirely orthodox, possibly even conservative on on a lot of things. Uh, but at the time, he was he was thought of as being a bit out there. And they started youth specialties. Uh, him and uh, Wayne Rice, I think, is the the, the name of the other chap. Um, started um, youth specialties basically out of a garage. They're just like printed these cool wacky resources which were so different to all the kind of stuffy Mm. um denominationally produced um youth work resources that were available in the states in like the the 60s and 70s and they just sort of mailed them out they started this business which became the amazing youth specialties they they, at one point they had nine or ten thousand kind of youth leaders coming to a, a convention uh and uh and just had this amazing community even at that scale mm. of like-minded kind of uh youth workers i think like i'd honestly think if you think of the youth ministry tribe that we see in the uk now that it would be a really good fit with that tribe that wow, had formed around yes. youth specialties in the kind of 1980s yeah. and 90s um i think there's a real kindred spirit there maybe in heaven we'll hold some sort of joint youth ministry conference. We'll all be stapling stuff in a garage. Yeah, with those guys, and we'll all get <laughs> yeah. together. Um, so I think I would sit down. I think Yakinelli would, he, he loved his food, and I, I know his son quite well, and he loved his food, and he um, would definitely have loved an Indian meal, but produced a la Britain. And oh, uh, yeah, yeah, sort of take him out to a curry house and spent the evening chatting. Thank Yakking. You yakking away so you have dropped both a little bit of insight into the celtic saints 
and a little bit of our own sort of golden youth ministry history. Well done, Saunders. Thanks. What, what about you? Who would so you I'm, sit down with? Well, I, I mean, any anyone and anybody at this stage. I want to yeah. sit down and have anything to eat with anybody who's flesh and blood and not currently in my household but that's not a story and um, I think for me it is Julian and Laurie and I realize and I realize that she's one of those um mystics who almost what we think we know about her means that we don't know a great deal you know do you know what I mean like she's a little mm. bit like we, we all have a little bit of pop history of her but mm. um it only recently dawned on me that so she was I can't even think when it was I'm so sorry somebody might need to do some research while I'm speaking <laughs> um but she was bricked in so I hadn't realized yeah. that her monastic lifestyle which, which which she entered about the age of 30 so this wasn't sort of as a teenager she'd lived a life and we think that she'd lost her husband and her children in the in the plague at the time but she mm. was bricked in so like her decision to devote herself to god was literally she could not she couldn't mm. get away from it the bishop bitched which but but she had like a window in her cell and people could come and talk to her and I, and I i think there's something quite extraordinary about her because she was living through a pandemic wasn't she like mm. like we are um and and she chose not to escape uh, you could think that maybe being bricked into a cell was escaping except she was on the highway and people could chat to her through a window whenever they wanted to talk to her and i think i i find i think she'd be fascinating she'd probably she'd probably i'd find her probably very disconcerting I think I'd probably spend all my time sitting there thinking, oh, gosh, I'm so shallow and I care too much about what people think. All those things that you think you'd feel with in the presence of somebody that's that's kind of dealt with lots of this stuff in her life. But I, I think it should be fascinating to say, because I, I think lots of these old Celtic missioners and mystics actually would be really well poised to deal with 21st century life because they seem to be people who... Their reality is so based on who God is that, mm. that you could almost land them in any any other kind of human civilization, and they'd be so rooted they'd mm. be able to connect. Do you know what I mean? And I, and I think she'd, it'd be so interesting to have her yeah speak into this context. Amy has uh, has done the research for has us. She? Of course, and, she, has. Well done, uh, she says Julian or Juliana. Never yes, heard course, that before. Yeah. Julian's the name of the church. Gosh, the number of people who think Julian of Norwich is a bloke, by the way. Anyway, Julian of Norwich, uh, 1343 to sometime after 1416. That was when, uh, that was when she was around. Amazing so, revelations yeah. over a weekend. So, yeah, no, extraordinary. But I would like anyone to have dinner with right now. To be honest, you would, Martin. wouldn't you? Just when we get back to some sort of normal, you presumably will return to your much discussed pursuit of just finding old people on benches and mm-hmm. seeing whether you can hang out with them. The other thing that I did in the days when we could have National Youth Ministry Weekends and lectures, St. Melitus Youthgate lectures in person, was I would, I kind of work on the premise that if there's a youth ministry conference happening somewhere, um, at, over that weekend, in any pub or cafe within a like an 800 yard radius, if, it, if they look like a youth worker, they probably are. So you can legitimately mm. sit with them and eat with them. So I've done that a few times. I've said, oh, hi, can I come and sit with you? And actually, on the whole, I've mostly got it right. I've mostly ended up with people who are. I mean, a couple of times it hasn't been, but that's been fun. <laughs> I uh, I was walking around the shopping centre for... Um, it's the only time I've ever done it, really. Because the, the time I was walking around the shopping centre where the National Youth Ministry Weekend was being held on the top floor... Uh, a couple of years ago and I saw these two uh, young guys who were out in the shopping centre quite close to our floor 
and I did the absolutely awful, unforgivable, heinous thing of kind of smiling at them and going, hey, guys. Hey. Um, and, no uh, you know, giving it a bit of, you know, you know who I am. Right. And they <laughs> it cl- quickly became apparent they were not at the event. They had no idea I was at all. Get that man away from us! Go yeah. away! <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I don't do that. No. But um, anyway, um, look, we've got a brilliant guest today. Absolutely brilliant guest. Um, and, uh, you know, this is um, somebody who you know well, Rach. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, and we've had a fantastic conversation. We'll talk a little bit. We'll unpack maybe that conversation afterwards. But do you want to uh, introduce yes, him? I do, actually. I'm, I'm getting to know him well. And he's someone that I'd like to spend a lot more time with because I think he's got such wisdom. So his name is Reverend Professor Jeremy Duff. He is the principal of Padarn Institute in Wales. He has a background in being in the army. He's been a church leader. Um, he's also married to Bishop uh, Jill Duff, who is one of my favourite people on the planet. And he has so much wisdom to share as we're thinking about ministering in a time of pandemic and a time of threat. And this is Jeremy Duff. Now, Padan Institute, are you training clergy? Is that, is that because um, you're principal of Padan? Yeah, some Padans, yes. I mean, we do train clergy. We, we have a great um, uh, MA programme in youth and children's ministry as well. Um, and um, all sorts of other ministry stuff. And we do the sort of ongoing training for clergy. Yeah. So Lovely. really, we're the sort of training department of the church in Wales. Lovely. So oh, that lovely. is about training clergy, but also lots of other people or whatever as well. Lovely. Okay. Um, and Padon himself, he was one of the people who um, was at the heart of bringing Wales to faith in the um, 500s. One of the things you have to remember is that Britain wasn't always Christian. We can look at it as if there was, um, you know, in the past, everyone went to church and whatever, and oh, they don't anymore. But actually, if you look back in history, that wasn't the case. And I'll often talk that what we need now is the second great re-evangelisation of Britain. And actually... Um, you look back to people like Aidan and Cuthbert of Padan, St. David and St. Patrick. These people brought the Christian faith here in the 5th and 6th century and it, had, it, it, it wasn't there. It had been here in the, the Romans, was wiped out almost completely and then it was brought back. And I'll say, you know, if you think Christianity in Wales, which is where I work, if you think Christianity in Wales is looking a bit ropey, it's far stronger than it was in St. Padan's day. And, you know, these nations were brought in large numbers of people to a faith in Jesus. So it's one of the things is we look at if we're feeling bad at the moment, we're feeling worried, we're feeling anxious at the moment. You do actually need to tell the right story of history. And the right story of history isn't one in which it used to be good and now it's declined. That, that is a really interesting perspective um, I've now reached an age in my life where I find what you've just said interesting, genuinely. Uh, and, and so, I, I, you know, I've become quite interested in how um, uh, the faith spread through the people that you've talked about and having like a great Christian king like Alfred the Great, mm-hmm. uh, how the massive impact that would have had on the spreading of the gospel and the, and the evangelization or re-evangelization then of, of Britain. What do you think, because um, this is an interesting place to start, What what do you think... Um, was the context that enabled then the gospel to spread. So that time round, what was it that 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 enabled Britain to be re-evangelised? 
It's a really interesting question, isn't it? When you hear the, when you read the stories, when you hear the stories, um, you know, of course they tend to focus on particular individuals doing particular things, but it, the stories are always about these people's lives. They're always about how they, um, you know, uh, treated people. Um, and there's a lot of stories about um, uh, prayer, lots of, you know, we think sometimes the Celtic saints, um, there's nice stories about the Celtic saints. They also spent lots of the time standing up in t to their shoulders in the cold sea, fighting demons, um, which seems <laughs> a bit weird to us today. But honestly, the, the sense of devotion, the sense of devotion to God and that um, they were, um, I suppose they worked examples. And in a world, I guess, where you didn't have the communication technology, these were people who were worked examples and sort of founded and spread communities, which were um, worked examples, just doing it in practice. Um, and that seems to be the heart of what um, what happened. And also, I think you can't get away from the fact that we actually think the faith works you know it actually makes your life better mm. and i think sometimes our fear of sounding like a sort of prosperity gospel that god's going to pour lots of blessings on your head in money or you know all of that means we sort of pull back from that and actually you know i i, I think people's lives are better and that's what still motivates me i think about my previous job as a vicar um, near liverpool in a place called witness you know people's lives were made better as they came to know Jesus. And I think it's that, so you look at some of these periods in history, and the point is, um, people could see that this was a way of life which, which made things better for them and their families. So you talked about us being sort of on the brink of the second re-evangelization. <laughs> um, and, and I guess people listening to this are very passionate about young people and youth ministry. And at the moment, coming out of lockdown, we're not sure what role youth ministry will play, whether churches will prioritise it with funding being cut and all the concerns. And what are the, some of the things that you take from sort of history about the, the move of God and the evangelisation of the UK? What are the themes that you would like to see sort of embedded in, in, our, in our mission and ministry among young people? What, what can we learn? OK, I would jump to a different bit of history. OK, and one bit that people might not know is that um, what we think of as the book okay pages you know in a book that was invented um very shortly after jesus okay before then everything was on scrolls you know you think of your movies of the egyptians the book was invented around then and it, the historians will tell you the people who absolutely grabbed hold of and made the book their thing were the christians and so 100 years, 150 years after Jesus, all of the Greek and Roman literature is still written on scrolls and all of the Christian stuff is written in books. No one knows why. It's just true. OK, so this new technology of the book, which is actually more robust, more referable to tran transport, the Christians grabbed hold of. And the Roman Empire was evangelised. You look in the in the 15th century, what was the great new communication technology? Printing. When printing was invented, 
what's the stuff that's printed? It's all prayer books and Bibles and sermons and, and um, you know, guides for the spiritual life and whatever. So who grabbed hold of this new technology of printing? It was the Christians. And in lots of parts of the world, the only thing that exists in a language is the Bible. Because people go out and languages that have never been written down, the first thing they're written down to do is to write the Bible in that language. So you look today at modern technology, and I don't want to be simplistic and link young people with modern technology, but you look at modern technology today, and, and we've just not gone there, have we? You know? Do you think that the great people who are grabbing hold of the communications revolutions now are the Christians? No. We're sort of fearful of it, you know? Um, how many how many vicars are recording TikTok videos? Well, actually, there's some. There's a lady up in Lancashire who's got a million followers on TikTok. On, and, but, but, but actually, we are simply not at the forefront of com communication technology in the way that our ancestors were at the previous two great changes in communication technology. And I think that's interesting. I think what it shows is we are, um, we're nervous. And I can imagine for uh, people working in, 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 in youth ministry, children's ministry, whatever, they're nervous because they need to justify themselves to churches who don't understand. And what the church elders or you know, councils, whatever, want is something that they recognise from the past. So they want, you know, oh, well, what kids like is to get together and eat pizza together or, you know, what we want is a parade service in church or, or whatever. And so therefore there's a, a pullback from actually engaging in at the forefront of communication change. And so that I could imagine is a real challenge. I think if you say what we need to do is to build Christian community, build groups of people who are exploring faith and living their lives in con connection with each other and encouraging each other and coming to a faith in Jesus, if that's all about community, community is a big thing using modern technology isn't it mm. i mean we're engaging with each other now i'm not in your front rooms but we can engage with each other and yet as a church we just find it hard to cope with the idea that community doesn't all mean sitting in the same room um, and i i imagine there is quite a um that the people who, in a sense, oversee youth and children's workers, the people that youth and children's workers feel they're accountable and have to explain themselves to, are fundamentally don't get it hmm. in terms of community not meaning, you know, community being a distant, uh, uh, something could be done using technology. I've heard you speak quite um, passionately, Jeremy, about what it looks like to, to minister in an age of threat. And I know you're a New Testament <laughs> scholar and have sort of shared with me some really helpful stuff over the recent months about how, you know, how Jesus responds to the threat of Herod wanting to take his life. And interesting, you, you've just sort of named there 
you know, if actually as youth ministers, we're working in a setting where maybe those that are responsible for us or our line managers don't don't get the context we're working or, or don't get the challenges. That's that's a threat, isn't it? That's a threat to what actually youth ministers can innovate, how we can pioneer new models, whether it's using digital technology or, or not. Like, what, what are some of the wisdom maybe from you know the, the ancients, the Celts? How did they how did they go about dealing with a country that you know, the threat of Christianity to a pagan culture? How do we deal with the threat of increasingly secularized culture and yet you know, knowing that Jesus is the best thing for all young people irrespective of age and stage how do we deal with that well I think it's really interesting I, I'm surprised we don't talk about threat more it's a I don't know why we don't we just about talk about anxiety but you know um, the the reality is lots of us do wake up at three in the morning feeling anxious feeling nervous feeling disturbed now i think the word for that is feeling threatened i i think anxiety is too loose a word i think people feel a sense of threat whether that's that their ministry is going to be curtailed that some things are going to go badly wrong I, I think if it's if it's making you wake up at three in the morning, I would call it that you feel threatened. Um, and I think it's sad that we don't talk about it more because I, I think it's the big thing that, yeah, lots of people feel. Um, in terms of, um, I think, in, in, the, in the Bible, what's odd is Jesus sort of acknowledges it but moves on. It's a sort of, meh, you know. <laughs> Um, but what's interesting is the acknowledging of it. So at one point, um, the, the Pharisees say to Jesus that Herod is going to kill you. OK, now that might sound dramatic in terms of threat, but I'm sure if you're a volunteer young person's worker in a church and you think that the church council at the next meeting is going to close the youth club. Yeah, that feels like you're being killed, doesn't it? Mm. Um, and so he says Herod is going to kill you. And Jesus says... I will keep on driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow. And on the third day, I will reach my goal. Which is a sort of fascinating response, which says, yeah, maybe you will. But, you know, maybe you will, maybe you won't. But in the meantime, I'm going to keep on doing what God told me to do. Hmm. And it happens again later um, in John's Gospel. Um, um, Jesus says, as long as it's day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. Uh, it sounds a bit Game of Thrones of winter is coming, but that <laughs> sense that sort of... And I think it's a really interesting response because the response doesn't say it'll be okay. The response doesn't say, ah, trust in God and it'll all work out well. What it says is, is basically, don't worry about tomorrow. Hmm. Um... What it says is, yes, OK, you can feel really threatened by the fact that the, the church council may be talking about whether to get rid of the, you know, the Friday night youth club. But the question is, can you actually do a great Friday night youth club this Friday night? Mm -hmm. isn't it? And that's the thing about fear and, and, and threat, isn't it? It's all about um, it's going to go wrong for you in the future. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't think there's any way of response. Maybe it will. Maybe it won't. 
We don't know, do we? All we can do, though, is not let the fear about the future change what we do today. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, 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 if, if people like Lord of the Rings, there's a there's a great bit um, uh, at the end of the Lord of the Rings when when it's all looking bad and uh, the the in front of the black gates and they're all gonna get killed. Um, and Aragorn has this speech where he says, you know. I see in your eyes the fear. And he says, a day may come, a day may come when courage fails and we forsake our friends. But it's not today. Mm-hmm. And I think that's all we can say. Mm-hmm. I think that's all we can say to say, yeah, the day may come when, you know, um, things change. But it's not today. And of course, you may then think it's not tomorrow either, and maybe the next day it's not that day either. And often that's how it works, isn't it? So I don't know if that helps on threat. It's not actually a sort of a cosy word. Mm. It's not a cosy word, but it does say Jesus was threatened. And he managed just to keep focusing on what he was meant to be doing. Mm. Um, and I think that's the best um, any of us can do. You get that sort of same sense reading some of Paul's letters as well, don't you? There's sort of there's that famous I'll I, I won't even attempt to do it justice, but there's a famous passage in two Corinthians where he talks about essentially, you know, we're not quite cr- crushed, but we are perplexed. And there's that like, list of um, uh, of things. Have I got that about right? Yeah, in terms no, of where absolutely. That, okay, good. Absolutely. Yes. Two Corinthians four. Exactly. And it's a. It, what's great about that passage, isn't it, is the honesty. It's a bit like me talking about that. Mm. Actually, do you sit around and tally up how many nights you woke up in the middle of the night? Mm. Or are we sort of ashamed that we do that? Do we think no one else does? You know? Um, so we can sit around and tally up that. Um, but we say, but actually, I'm still able to go out today and do some great stuff. And so that's that two Corinthians. Yes, we're we're crushed, but not actually completely destroyed. Well, that's um, the thing, isn't it? Because in this in this world of there is such an obsession with self help books. I read something that said, you know, the self help book industry is worth billions and billions of dollars, and all self help books basically rely on you getting to a conclusion where you have fixed the problem and moved on you've conquered your fears you've you've beaten anxiety you've embraced courage and moved away from the you know the thing that was holding you back whereas what you're saying is almost that <laughs> you you it's not about fixing it it's about learning to live with it yes and i think i think you see that in quite a lot of there's also just to go with that there's that thing nowadays where everything has to have a legacy doesn't it you know the, the youth work is only a value if it's still going in 25 years' time. Mm-hmm. Well, that's rubbish. The youth work was valuable because it really helped Tracy and Darren. It doesn't have value that it's there in 25 years' time. I mean, it might be nice because then it would have helped a lot more Tracy's and Darren's. But, but actually, there's almost... So part of that, part, part of what you're saying there about sort of just getting on with it in a sense is that sense of sort of we're not we're not judged by the future either you know the value of what you're doing now is in the people now and 
if if it lasts for a season, it lasts for a season. What, what, what's the obsession that anything good must last forever? It's really weird. Mm. Really weird. Particularly when you think about things like yeah, yeah, children and young people. I mean, you know, two years of this person's life is 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 so meaningful, isn't it? And uh, you know, if 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 you're able to uh, uh, make a difference at that point, that has a if you want permanency, it has a permanent a permanent value in in Tracy and Darren's lives, doesn't it? It doesn't have a permanent value of them being a nice building and a nice you know people being able to say, oh, it's been going on for fifty years. It's interesting you're saying that because even as you're saying it, part of me is like, what, what, what? And I suppose one of the challenges I found in lockdown is I found it really easy to live with my heart in the past. Like we were able to do great youth ministry when we could get out on the street or we could get into school. And, and I've let, sort of lived with my heart in the future. When when these re- restrictions <laughs> are eased, we can get back to something. But but right here in the now uh, is is really... I, I can't just think that what I'm doing has value just now because it's it's not it doesn't feel enough to me. And that's an interesting challenge that you bring about meeting God here and now and trusting God for fruit in the ministry that we're doing here and now, even if it's incredibly limited. Somehow the mystery is that the Holy Spirit is not limited by lockdown and restrictions and COVID, even though we you know we can feel that our hands are tied behind our back. So. What, what's the secret yeah. to living in the here and now, to not be threatened by the past or the future? Well, I suppose, being cheeky, I'd say, but is it limited what you're doing now or is it different? <laughs> That's great. <laughs> you know, which is me being cheeky. But I mean, that, because I, I'm sure, you know, I don't want to be flippant. Of, of course, there's massive restrictions on things and you, you could, I, I, I'm sure there are lots of brilliant stuff you could be doing that you, you can't do. And that, that is the reality. But there is something in that, isn't there, that... Um, you know, it's it, it, there is something about seizing the opportunities we have, isn't it? I mean, how many Christian workers spend all their life saying they should pray more? And how many are now frustrated that they can't leave the house? But are they praying anymore? Probably not. I mean, you know, how many lockdowns do you want God to send before we start praying more? I mean, I mean, it, it's, it's sort of, um, so there is that sense of seizing the moment, isn't there? And I had a wonderful colleague, Janice, a few years ago, and she was just amazing. Cause I'm a, I, I'm a strategist. I, I like, you know, all of that. She, she would get up every morning and do brilliant ministry and go to bed at night. She wasn't much of a great planner and strategist, and you know that has its weaknesses. But she would just get up every morning, and she used to storm through huge amounts of stuff, and then go to bed happy. And actually, just seize the seize the opportunity, isn't it? Now, it's difficult because some people's jobs are to strategize and to plan and to, to think to the future. But there is a, um, and I can understand the pressure on on uh, you know from almost sort of authorities as well. What's the plan? What's the you know? Um, but actually, it's the doing the stuff with the people, isn't it? Which is really what it's about. Um, I think going to what Martin was saying about self-help books, I, I think the other great um, problem of our age is that we think plans are the point. Every new leader, you know, is told to make the plan. What's the plan? What's the strategic plan? What are the goals? What are the outcomes? What's the, um, 
and you do have lots of places where you know it's as if the plan matters rather than the doing isn't it um i used to be in the army at one point and that you know the phrase there was that no plan survives contact with the enemy which is really interesting they're very keen on planning the planning has a purpose but no plan survives contact with the enemy wow. no plan is actually going to happen because well what if you are trying to do it it all doesn't work out quite like you hope, does it? Um, but I think there is a thing, it's a great pressure on leaders. And I think if some people you're engaging with are sort of leading work, or whatever, there's a great pressure that says, come up with the right plan and it will all work. Um, which I think, I, I think contrasts with that sense of no, actually do great stuff today and it will all work. So I, I'm really compelled by this uh, this idea that we should be focusing on today. Mm. And it reminds me of, of a conversation we had at one of our recent conferences um, with a, a brilliant youth ministry uh, academic called Kenda Creasy Dean over in uh, Princeton, uh, who said that we need to um, be in the business now rather of trying to build empires and skyscrapers and great kingdoms of building sandcastles, which really uh, is is the same thing packaged up in a, a different way, I think. Um, I love that idea. However, I am uh, a youth worker in a local church uh, and there are higher ups above me and higher ups above them. Um, and so you're somebody who, who kind of understands um, church structures and sits in a fairly senior position yourself. Would you have any advice to youth leaders who are listening to this and thinking, yes, I am compelled. I want to build sandcastles. I want to um, be in the uh, moment. Yeah. You know, be in the moment. Yeah. I want to just yeah. live by the moment. I don't want to think too much about the strategy, but I've got to I've got to get that past the PCC or <laughs> a, a, yeah. another. OK. OK. Yeah, I, absolutely. Right. You can't escape being measured. But what you can do is decide the measurement okay and so lots of churches do this I, I mean you see when churches you know setting up street pastors or whatever and they're engaging with the local council and the local council you know it needs to fit into these measures and most churches are, oh but we don't measure christian ministry and it's like oh okay but it's not hard just count the statistics of how many glass bottles you've 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 um, brushed up on the streets at night stick it in a document and the council falls over because it's so impressive you know we've got but choose what measures you want you won't escape being measured and so I think for Christian Minute and I can see this very much for youth and children's people um, that what often happens is the PC says like, well can you give us the statistics for how many people came to the meeting and you sort of think ah oh, but that's not what it's about and you're frustrated with the the, the authorities for um, use for, for for not understanding, but there's no point being frustrated. You've just got to give them a better measure. If you don't want them to say, "Tell me how many people came to the PCC meeting," they have to have some measure. They have to have some statistics. But in all, it you can get an awful long way. If you go back to the, you know, the minister or whatever and say, look, we've been thinking about youth ministry, we've been thinking about these things. Look, we think that the old fashioned way of looking at it is how many bums turned up on the meeting isn't actually a very good way of doing it. What we want to do is give you statistics for 
blank. And it's really interesting doing that because what it actually forces you to do is to think, what do you value? And, and that's a really helpful challenge, isn't it? Because it's all very easy for us all to say, oh, wait, we are valuable. We're doing valuable things. I'm, I'm busy, so I must be valuable. And actually, the question that says, well, you know, what are you doing that's valuable and which bits of it are valuable? And can you do more of the bits that are valuable and less of the bits that aren't? That's actually really good discipline, isn't it? Mm -hmm. But my advice is define for yourself what's valuable. And if you think what's valuable is the number of, you know, one to one conversations you have with a young person. Or if you think what's valuable is the number of the young people who, when you do the survey each month, say that they've prayed in the previous month. You know, decide what you want to be measured on. And on the whole, authorities will take it. If you say to the PCC, look, these we think these are the four ways of measuring the success of what we're doing. Um, they'll probably believe you. And just keep them measuring it and showing you're doing a good job. I think that's really helpful and just a really practical way of kind of concluding the interview. Um, so, uh, so thanks. Thank you so much for giving up your time, Jeremy, to talk to us. One of the things that I just really loved from what he was saying, Martin, was when he talked about threat and about how mm. many of us as leaders wake up in three in the morning. And I'd never thought about that before, that, that what I'm experiencing at three in the morning, hmm. maybe anxiety is too general a term for it, that maybe mm. it is the threat of what might, you know, what might happen to me next week, next year, what might go wrong? Did, Things did that going wrong. with you? Things going wrong in the future, yeah. for sure. That is definitely, I've had loads of that. I don't know about, about you, I've had loads of that during lockdown. Um, and uh, for loads of different reasons, actually. But that's been one of the things that's kept me up at night or Sometimes, you know, if I've woken up in the middle of the night, you know, that is that is the thing I think about is it's never at night. It's never a sort of a, oh, this here's some good things I'm looking forward to. Yeah. Never that. You, you might wake up with that. But in the middle of the night, it's always a sort of, oh, gosh, what if these things that I'm thinking about go wrong? Um, and the more things you've got going on in your life, the more things there are to worry about and to go wrong yeah. and, and the more you uh, care yeah. about what you're doing in your life as well the more you care that you know there's some things like i don't really care if that goes wrong but if yeah, you're absolutely. invested yeah. which makes it a, a doubly cruel thing isn't it because it, it cuts to the very heart of how you feel about your calling and your, and your purpose and your identity and all that well that that sort of shows up the truth in what he was saying i mean i found it incredibly challenging that that actually all those things we're always it's in our it's in our blood it's in our culture to everything is always building towards something bigger. That, in essence, is a sort of the flawed version of capitalism that we find ourselves in, that every business must grow every year, you know? And that's actually, that's our society. Like, everything is always going somewhere. It's always growing. It's always getting better. And that is also the kind of problem with, I mean, he mentioned it, prosperity teaching, you know, that it's always about better times are ahead, you know, it's going to get better. The, you know, that, that awful kind of throwaway hashtag, the best is yet to come. Well, maybe maybe on, on in this life it isn't. And maybe that has to be okay. Mm -hmm. um, eternally, of course, we have a hope that the best is yet to come. Mm -hmm. But in the in the sense of the life that we, we lead, Solomon would say everything is meaningless. Mm -hmm. um, and so actually... <laughs> Let's not get him on our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so actually, but, but, you know, do you know, funnily enough, I've been reading Ecclesiastes recently. 
Wow. And I wondered, I wondered whether I'd find anything interesting to say about Ecclesiastes uh, today, uh, which is a weird thing to think about. But that's what I worry about in the middle of the night. Um, <laughs> and um, and it's, there's a really interesting thread in Ecclesiastes that is basically you can't build anything. You can't really build anything because in the end you die and you can't take it with you. And so actually not just the thread of Jesus and Paul, but also of dear old Solomon writing Ecclesiastes was, you know, you just do what's in front of you today. That's the only thing that makes any sense. That's the only thing that has real meaning, you know, in your day yeah. is to do what's in front of you. Um, and actually, that's you know, that that is such a it's an easy thing to say. Yes, that feels right to. It's an incredibly hard thing to to yes. live out and put into practice. Because unfortunately, I know that sometimes I've used that, like, I'm just going to, you know, I'm just going to do what's before me as a little bit of a get out. Like, I just hadn't planned anything. And I don't know. And I'm not. But I think it's it's really good that he pushes back against that. And it's not so therefore don't care and don't measure. He's like, actually, you will be measured and, and stuff mm. needs to be measured. Um, but actually, we have a lot of opportunity to be really specific as leaders about what it is that surely as leaders we should be able to say this is what we're measuring uh, not because we're only valuing young people along these very narrow trajectories but because we really want to see growth and participation and change and, and, and so we're going to name what some of those things w- should be looking like mm-hmm. um i think that's i think that's super powerful actually and i yeah and, and i think had he not said that i'd have been feeling like what 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 but actually he's so right because that's it's hard to it's hard to to do your work along an arbitrary set of measurements that don't resonate with you and it's hard to do the work that thinks actually what is it that i should be measuring and i want others to measure mm. so choose your hard <laughs> like you can't wow. opt out you can't not be measured but choose your hard which one yeah. which one will you do and and i and i think that's that's really helpful teaching from somebody who's so obviously you know he's been a leader in church been in the army he's now you know running a, mm. a, 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 a college and he knows what he's talking about like this yeah. isn't just thin conversation in the air but, but that's that's powerful yeah yeah i found that really practical and helpful yeah uh you know because because the question of like you know how do you how do you put this across to church leaders is a difficult one how do you how do you yeah. justify your, yourself in a world that's that's obsessed with measuring numbers yeah um and uh, and I thought that was a really helpful answer. Now, before we go, Rachel, Yacht. I did say we'd talk about bookshelves. And just to draw you a, a mental picture, behind uh, Jeremy Duff, there was a, an extraordinary range Huge. of books. And they were big books. And they were yeah. dusty books. There was nothing on there you would recognise. They were <laughs> yeah. probably in other languages, probably ancient languages, <laughs> yeah, um, probably, which he yeah. can read. They were enormous... <laughs> They had that sort of look of, you know, when you take the cover off a book and it's got that sort of, what's that kind of embossed leathery stuff called? I think on it's books? called embossed leathery stuff. Embossed leathery stuff. Okay. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it was those sorts of things. And it really was like a proper bookcase credibility. There were hundreds and hundreds of great big tomes. Now, let's turn to you, Rachel Gardner, because oh you've God. gone for it. You've got some books behind your head today. I so have. you've got two Bibles, which I think is just, there's no point really, but you've done that. <laughs> you've got, got two to- Bibles. I've, I've got um, Natalie Collins' Out of Control book. Awesome. Great. I've got a bit of Pete Gregg. I've yeah. got um, this book, Jesus uh, and the Jewish Roots of the Eucharist, a fantastic Anglo-Catholic writer called Brant yeah. Petrie. I've got a bit of Sarah Coakley, feminist author, God, Sexuality yeah. and the Self. Um, I've got The Predicament of Belief, which is awesome. I've got Love Church. I've got Tim Keller. Yeah. I can tell you Tim whose books you don't have Keller. up there. Not one. What is 
Never. Now, got... This is a running theme. <laughs> I've got one of mine, actually. Just... Oh, have you? <laughs> well, isn't, that, isn't, isn't that lovely? Well, what I like is that on you've got another bookshelf and you've clearly tried to bulk it out, but you haven't got enough. So you've just got a bunch of old books like <laughs> from secondary school on there. Like some Dickens, novels that you blatantly don't read. Actually, you do I, not read Dickens. No, I don't. And actually, I did put these here because I'm like, oh, they look quite classy. Yeah. <laughs> I also have on my shelf a nice little postcard, which I was sent at the beginning of the very first lockdown that says hello forwards and backwards. And oh, if, you, yeah. if you were to geek out and see every single thing I've ever filmed, any sermon has always yeah. been in front of this bookcase. This postcard has just been there all the time. Oh, that's there nice. We go. I don't know what that says, but it's just it's my well, way of saying hello uh, world. Hello. I think it's a beautiful Isn't thing. Me you're tuning in for. No, it's not. It's the Holy Spirit, Rachel. Not you. Well, this has come to an end. <laughs> um, I'm really sorry, <laughs> Jeremy, if you're one of those guests that listens back to the podcast you're on. And then share um, this with your friends. <laughs> but uh, yes, don't, set, don't share it in academic circles, for goodness sake. <laughs> yeah. um, but this has been fun and informative and deep. Uh, and it's been lovely to spend some time with you again. We'll be back again with another Youthscape podcast next week. We'll see you then. 